When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome to Football Social Daily, the only all-Premier League podcast with a brand new show every single day. I'm Jim Salverson, and as always during the international break, someone has said something to the press to upset their fan base. And for once, it's not Paul Pogba. Gareth Bale has been speaking ahead of Wales' World Cup qualifiers, and it turns out he was treating his move back to Tottenham more like a pure gym membership than a transfer. In other words, he just wanted to get fit for the Euros. The Spurs fans aren't happy, but do they have any right not to be? After all, it was only ever going to be a loan deal. We'll be talking about that shortly on the podcast. We're also going to be talking about the world's most expensive players, as Marcus Rashford and Erling Haaland top the football asset rich list that the Football Observatory published from time to time. Who else features in that rundown, and does it reflect the real value of any players? That's just a few of the questions that Ian Brennan and Narmacorn will be answering on today's podcast. Hello, gents. Hello. Bada da, Jim. Bada da. Oh, <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Good bit of Welsh. Yeah, it's not too bad. I used to live in Cardiff, so I think I'd be getting a few messages from friends if I didn't get that one right. We all know the Welsh for microwave, don't we? Just, just We need to get that out of the way before we move on. Is it something with ding in it? I can't remember. Popty ping. Popty ping is the Welsh for my yeah, friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to live in Cardiff as well. I, w- I had one Welsh lesson. And uh, <laughs> and I know that um, I used to <laughs> used to work at a radio station that was opposite a place that was... Uh, when you've got the word uh, CWM, uh, it, it means um, uh, valley in in wales it's okay. a well but it's it's pretty it's pronounced cum and uh they used to work opposite the cum farm which was always uh, <laughs> raised an eyebrow to, to any visitors that weren't familiar with what went on there but well this is this is as close as we're going to get to multilingual on the what a great <laughs> start to the day well we should just leave it here we're not going to top that we've are peaked we? <laughs> see you tomorrow 
<laughs> as well as uh, talk about Come Farms, we're going to be tackling some of the questions that you've sent in because it's Wednesday and it's AQAs, all questions answered. So we've got all your questions that have come in via social media. We'll be picking three good ones and going through those towards the end of the podcast. But let's talk about Gareth Bale first. So he's been commenting on his Tottenham future and it's angered a few Spurs fans along the way. He said he just wanted first team football. That's all he wanted. That's the only reason he moved to Tottenham was to get first team football ahead of the European Championships. And he always intended at the end of this loan deal to go back to Real Madrid for the final year of his contract. Here's the quote. He says, I think the main reason I came to Spurs this year was to play first team football and foremost going to the Euros. I want to be match fit. The original plan was to do a season at Spurs after the and after the Euros, still have a year left at Real Madrid. It's upset Spurs fans. I mean, after all, this is a club legend who is treating, as I said in the intro, their or his team or their team as a, just a way to get fit. But do they have any right to be upset, Niall? It's like he's gone back to an ex, isn't it? Just for the night. <laughs> yeah, just for a night, yeah. Do you know what? This is classic international break fodder, this. I've actually watched the interview with Gareth Bale and it looks a lot worse written down mm. in print than it does coming yeah, out of his these mouth. These things often do. They often do, yeah, because you can't get the intonation and the context of what the question was first and foremost and also the delivery uh, of the actual answer from the player. On this case, I think it's important to say that he did say all of those things that you've rightly pointed out. That is a, an accurate quote, of course. But he says, as you say, the original plan was to do a season at Spurs and after the Euros still have a year left at Real Madrid. And he said, I think, after that, that the plan hasn't changed. So I think that was perhaps a slight hint at the fact that maybe there's been no talks between Real Madrid and Tottenham Hotspur about keeping Gareth Bale on beyond the end of this season. And understandably mm. so, because even now, with this comment which may have upset some Spurs fans, it does feel a little bit like, try before you buy. Because obviously we've seen Gareth Bale left in the dark at Real Madrid and you know, he isn't quite the same top class player that he was uh, maybe three or four years ago, purely because he's not been playing as much football at Real Madrid as he would have liked. So I guess maybe that's a little bit of intuition on Daniel Levy's part to allow Bale to come back for a year. And if he's no good, send him back and save spending 50, 60 million on him. Um, that might be a more cynical way of thinking about it. But we know Daniel Levy's a very shrewd businessman. I can see why this is annoyed or upset Spurs fans, let's just say. I think, yeah, probably they do have a, a right to be upset because it was kind of touted as this big homecoming and it felt like it was just a loan to facilitate a way out of Real Madrid to start with and that they'll be taking him on permanently at the end of the season. It felt like even if he did have a terrible year this year, there was always the chance that they would sign him on a permanent contract. However, certainly, even though it's taken him a few months to get fully up to speed and it's only in recent weeks that we've seen him really hitting his stride again in the Premier League, I just feel that, you know, that this was always perhaps in the back of his mind, being able to achieve something for Wales, because Ryan Giggs might have even said to him, there's no doubt that he would have been taken to the Euros, regardless of whether he was playing at Real Madrid or not. You can't not take Gareth Bale if you're a nation like Wales, where you're not blessed with as much talent as some other nations. But still, I think he probably feels that in order to deliver peak performance at an international tournament, being match fit is the best way to go about it. And we saw it in the Euros in 2016 when Gareth Bale, you know, really did grab the tournament by the scruff of the neck and he was the star of the Wales show, as he so often is. And maybe he feels like in order to kind of get through to 
those levels again he's going to need to keep himself match sharp I think it's just a natural thing for someone to say I also think half the time players don't realize what they say in these interviews I think that they're on autopilot they're so media sanitized or they're bored they just want to get it over with and they end up saying stuff that they don't really mean um, it was one of those strange interviews where he had an earpiece in so he's actually listening to what someone was saying in his ear rather than speaking to him face to face so right. I don't know if that's got anything to do with what he said but yeah I, I agree with the sentiment that Spurs fans would be upset and I guess they do have a, a right to be upset because they were probably thinking with the way the whole transfer was geared up and the coverage of it that he would be staying beyond the summer I think football fans just want the players that play for their team to do it because they love the team rather than for other reasons be it a paycheck be it to get fit or whatever and that when that doesn't happen and I don't think that ever happens nowadays mm. it just disgruntles them a little bit but I guess Ian this is just this is how loan deals work the clues in the name it's a loan deal and it tends to be if a player does really well and he's on loan if there is no obligation to buy or no agreement to buy at the end of that deal he's either going to go back to his parent club and get a chance and if you're Gareth Bale chances are he's just waiting for new management to come into Real Madrid to get that second chance or you end up demanding a fee that the club who have taken you on loan in the first place can't afford otherwise they would have bought you in the offset rather than waited for the loan deal so there is this try before you buy element that Daniel Levy has taken advantage of that kind of quite businessman-like approach but at the same time we see this happen with loan deals that it's either a way for a player to regain form or a player to bump up their loan fee or if it doesn't work out they just disappear back off again. Yeah exactly I mean loans are used for players who are, are not first choice at their parent club, but they still uh, are um, under contract with with their original club. So he has got a contract with Real Madrid. If Gareth Bale was seen to be um, acting like he was a Spurs player, whether whether he is or he isn't, um, then that will be seen as you know being firstly disrespectful to Real Madrid because he is still their player. They own mm -hmm. him, and uh, you know he's got every right, and they've got every right to uh, to have him back. Let alone whether he wants to go back or or not. He's he, that's really not his choice in many ways. Um, and plus, if he did start going around making noises that um, he was going to be a Spurs player again, it's that's going to get Real Madrid's back up. It's going to damage relations between the two clubs. He's just got to play the game. We, we there may be things going on in the background that probably are that, that we're not uh, aware of but as you say it's a loan deal the clue is in the title he is a Real Madrid player um, Real Madrid have got every right if they want to stick him on the bench and, and not play him for a year if they wanted to uh, conversely he might have um, you know got some um, new admirers within the Bernabeu who uh, think that he's got a role to play in their uh, upcoming season next year but ultimately in the short term he wasn't in favour he wanted to get into the uh, or make sure he was uh, going to be fit and a part of the Euros when they come around and, and his job done and yeah I mean after all the gyms are closed where else are you going to go? <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's a weird one though Jim because I mean this loan deal was it just to clear the air at Real Madrid because I don't think he's endeared himself to the supporters with all the banners like Wales, Golf, mm. Madrid and, you know, kind of joking around on the touchline because he's not getting games and stuff. It did feel like there was a bit of an atmosphere there. So for him to even return to Real Madrid, it feels strange that he might even be welcomed back by the club or the supporters. It felt like they just needed to kind of crowbar him out of there. And I just wonder if this comment would have come had he gone to China and Real Madrid not blocked that move to China because... Mm. The main reason he wouldn't have gone. The the main reason he would have gone to China wasn't to get match fit. It would have been to line his pockets. Of course. If that move had gone on, so I just wonder whether this is just a product of the fact uh, of what's going on at Real Madrid. And 
I just find it interesting that he says the plan was always to go back to Real Madrid because it want, it makes me wonder whether he'd even be welcome there with all of the animosity that's kind of developed over the last couple of years. I think it's amazing how quickly uh, club supporters can forgive a player who is playing well and playing well consistency, consistently, but we've seen the same issues at Spurs that he had at Real Madrid in terms of he can't maintain his fitness for a long enough run of games to to kind of really create an impression and create a role for himself within a team. I, I guess what's upsetting Spurs fans, Ian, is what this comment says about the football club, potentially. That someone like Gareth Bale, who was a club legend, who is entering the tail end of his career, doesn't see them as the long-term option. It sees them as a stepping stone for getting where they want to be, be it fitness or be it the move they want at the end of the loan deal. I guess that's what's really upsetting Spurs fans here. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the banners and and the reasons that he might not be welcome back at, at Real Madrid. It, and and it's similar, I think, now to Tottenham that as he as he kind of um, spoilt things there a little bit in in how he's acted. Because when he arrived, it did seem like it was a permanent transfer. The way that they acted, the way they announced him, and made a big deal about it, and all that. And of course, it's taken time for him to um, make a, a real impact in in the Tottenham team. And you know, he's not been a, a regular starter every single match, even then. Um, but he has had his moments. But that said, yeah, it, it obviously had the previous great relationship, but going on as if Tottenham are some kind of stepping stone, as you say, a means to an end just to get him fit for the for the Euros, is going to leave a sour taste in the mouth. And it's kind of like, if if he did come back, are Spurs fans really going to believe he really wants to be there? You know, it's a, it's a very mm. fine line. I think he would have been better just keeping his mouth shut. And maybe that is Gareth Bale's thing. He just can't help himself winding up sometimes. Um, Where do you think he's going to end up? Because it feels like staying at Spurs is now unlikely. It feels like, as you say, Niall, his bridges have been burnt at Real Madrid. He hasn't really impressed impressed enough at Tottenham, I don't think, to get another move to another Premier League club, certainly a Premier League club that he'd find attractive. So what does happen here? It feels like the the, the Chinese gold rush over in the Super League has kind of come mm. to an end because of the limitations on spending and the tax limits that have been put in place over there. So what mm-hmm. does happen? Well, the problem with that Chinese Super League thing is that doesn't stop Gareth Bale being paid astronomical wages. I think that the limitations are purely on transfer fees. And I think if he does just have a year left at Real Madrid, it might encourage the Chinese clubs to be able to buy him for a cut price. Of course, back in the day, I think he went for, was it 90 million euro, 89, 85 million quid or something like that from Tottenham to Real Madrid in 2013. I can't see them getting more than half of that um, in terms of a transfer fee for Gareth Bale. However, the wages are going to be big and Chinese Super League clubs you'll be able to afford that. I think you've got to remember, he'll be 32 in the summer um, and he's won pretty much everything there is to win. He He's won four Champions Leagues, for God's sake. You know, most people go through their career don't win a single one. You've got some unbelievable players that win one Champions League if they're lucky. This guy's won four and he scored in finals and he scored ridiculous amounts of goals. He's played at ridiculously high level for such a long time. He's kind of single-handedly dragged Wales through to the quarterfinals of a Euros, something which just doesn't happen. Um, and like I say, being sort of 31 going on 32, he would have remembered 
that Galacticos team with Ronaldo and Luis Figo and Roberto Carlos and Ica Casillas in sticks and he would have remembered that great Real Madrid side so no doubt Real Madrid would have been an attractive proposition for him back in 2013. But now I can't see him sticking around at a top European Mm. club. I don't think he's really shown in the last two years that he's, even now when he's kind of picked up form at Tottenham, I still think he's a great player, No, don't get me wrong, but I just don't think he's shown enough to warrant the wages that would be commanded for his signature. So I think that China is the right option. And I've said this on the podcast numerous times before when we've discussed Gareth Bale. He's got nothing to prove to anyone. He's got nothing to prove to Tottenham. He's got nothing to prove to the Premier League because he's already done it. So coming back for a second spell, you know, it's not quite the same. It's like when Didier Drogba left Chelsea after winning the Champions League in 2012 had a couple of years away in China, then in Turkey. And then he came back to Chelsea for a season or so. And it wasn't the same Didier Drogba. Mm. And, you know, the sentiment was still there and the feeling was still there from what he achieved at Chelsea, winning them the Champions League or helping to win them the Champions League. But it wasn't the same Didier Drogba. In fact, so many people forget that he even came back for a second spell (laughs) at Chelsea. Um, And I think that there'll be an element of that perhaps with Gareth Bale, because if he doesn't stay um, at Tottenham, and maybe Real Madrid aren't keen on taking him back for his final year of his contract. I can see him go to China. I do think that that is the case. I think that if the transfer fee is right for the Chinese club, because as you say, there's limitations, the government have taxed transfer fees heavily in China in terms of bringing foreign exports into their league. But wages, I think they're slightly more unregulated, let's just say. So I think that they would be able to afford high wages for Gareth Bale. And, you know, I said this when he was touted as moving back to the Premier League last summer, I said, just go to China. Your career is short as a footballer. He, he's prone to injuries at the moment and has been for the last two or three seasons. Go to China, line your pockets, pick up 500 grand a week, make millions and millions. You're sorted for life and you'll always be a legend at Tottenham and uh, you'll always be a legend in Wales. I mean, what, what more do you want? <laughs> a, a legend at one big Premier League club and a legend for your country. So, you know, that would be my thoughts if I was Gareth Bale. But then again, there's always the school of thought that, why not try and stay on top as long as you can um, when you've got the ability to do so? But if I was Bale, that would be what I would do. I'd be eyeing up and move to China for sure. I think the other thing to throw in there is the um, is the David Beckham America thing as well because yeah. he seems to be on a mission at the moment going around, you know, he's, he's uh, trying to lure stars <laughs> from here, there and everywhere uh, in so, yeah. into uh, look, They've just signed Kieran Gibbs yeah. from West Brom. There, there so you go. You see sure. the, big, stars all the big stars and Kieran Gibbs. <laughs> but yeah, he's, exactly. he's, 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 you've got to, you know, you've got to aim high. He's aiming at Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi and he's got Kieran Gibbs. You know, if he'd, if he'd <laughs> aimed lower, I mean, who, who would he have ended up with? You can go ask that question. It'll be interesting to see what does happen to Gareth Bale, though. I'm sure he was going to have a huge retirement package a couple more seasons elsewhere and then he can retire back to his own cum farm in Wales somewhere (laughs) (laughs) another player that kind of we've seen it this scenario kind of play out more successfully is Jesse Lingard as well who has gone from Manchester United to West Ham now finds himself back in the England squad he's been praising Gareth Southgate over the last 24 hours saying it was a conversation with Gareth Southgate saying the door was not closed to England that forced him to up his game and up his form a little bit. We'll no doubt talk more about England as the week progresses because we have got three World Cup qualifiers on the horizon. So we'll come on to that on Football Social Daily over the next few days. But next, we're going to talk about football finance. The CIES Football Observatory has released its report into the world's most expensive or valuable players right now. And we'll talk about that next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. 
listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We're going to talk football finances now and the CIES Football Observatory has released its regular report into the world's most expensive players. Some interesting findings there. I mean, it's important to point out this is all done on an algorithm. So it's all done by computers rather than actual people making informed decisions. So there's going to be some surprises within there as there are with any algorithms. But unsurprisingly, probably, the two players that top that list are Marcus Rashford and Erling Haaland, who are undisputably the two hot properties in football right now. Is that right, now? Should they be up there? I'll be honest, I'm surprised that Haaland's below Marcus Rashford. And Mbappe. Yeah, really? Mbappe is better than Rashford. Haaland, I think, is as good as Rashford. Is there an element that Rashford still hasn't really found his natural... I mean, he's been a first-team regular for Manchester United now for a long time, but I don't... 100% know with her managers know how to deploy him best. Well, this isn't a slight on Rashford. I don't want it to come across like that. Rashford is an unbelievable player. And don't get me wrong, there is far more to come from Marcus Rashford. To play 250 games for Manchester United as a, what is he, 22, 23 years old? It's unbelievable, mm. the achievement that he's reached, just to even play that amount of games. And he is a valuable asset to Manchester United. Whether he's worth 150 to 200 million euros, like he's been valued at by the Football Observatory, I'm not so sure. Um, Erling Haaland, though, I think I agree. I think at the moment he is one of the hottest commodities in football. I think that at the moment, though, if you tried to prize Marcus Rashford out of Manchester United, um, I guess he would probably cost a similar price because Manchester United know how big a club they are and how big an asset Rashford is. But I still think Haaland is worth more right now. I think goals are the biggest asset in football. They are what win games. It's an old cliche. The goals are currency in football. And that's the most expensive. That's the reason that strikers and top goal scorers are the most expensive players in the game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I certainly feel that uh, Mbappe, Haaland, Rashford, those players who can provide that um, re really are understandably at the top of this list. Uh, the thing is with Rashford is I just can't see anyone wanting to buy him. I think I think he's I think he's part of the furniture now at Manchester United. And I don't want this to come across the wrong way because I will heap plenty of praise on Marcus Rashford like I just have. But in the way that when Mark Noble was coming through at West Ham, you'll know about this Jim in what's it 2004? Yeah. Everyone was saying he's a future England player. You know, he's going to be an England captain. He's going to be, he's, he's going to be, um, you know, one of these players which has got a really bright future in the game. And Mark Noble has for, forged an unbelievable career for himself. A one-man player, one-club player, sorry. Um, uh, hundreds of appearances for West Ham. Hundreds of Premier League appearances. But you can't ever see anyone coming in to buy him. If you know what I mean. Well, that's not fair because there were offers made for him when he was at the peak of his career. And I know he's, he's now seen as this almost burdened to West Ham sometimes. Well, who who came in to outside, buy gonna, Mark Noble? I think Charlton put an offer in. Okay, great. So um, Marcus Rashford I mean, isn't going to go to, to Leicester, is he? No, but we're talking about clubs on similar levels to West Ham at the time <laughs> rather than now. We're talking about, I mean, Manchester United, you're probably looking at, I don't know, Chelsea. Um, but, uh, I, don't, I, I don't know. Why I don't would know. he go to Chelsea? That, well, that's kind of the point I'm making. I just can't see him leaving no. Manchester United and I can't see someone paying... 150 to 200 million euros to do but so. Potentially a Real Madrid would come in. I mean, the weird thing about Marcus Rashford for me is... He's, he's a great player. He is, but... a, he is a great player, but 
it doesn't seem to have the same irreplaceable quality as, as someone like, I don't know, Harry Kane, for example, at Tottenham, who is, you can't imagine them coping without him. Whereas if Rashford came out of that Manchester United team, you could imagine he would be replaceable. They'd be able to get someone else in. His talents mm. aren't as unique, maybe. Maybe I'm, I'm underselling him as a player. Yeah, perhaps. And I think that we need to make sure that all the Manchester United fans listening aren't getting angry because <laughs> I think we need to mention that Marcus Rashford is a very, very good player and they are a worse side without him in the mm. team, in my opinion. However, I think that the expectations on Rashford are high. And, you know, like I say, he's in his early 20s still. I mean, I mean, look at the way Wayne Rooney's trajectory went through his career. You know, like when he got to his late 20s, that was when he was at his most prolific, really. So I think that that is, it is certainly something to keep an eye on. Um, in terms of Marcus Rashford's development, but yeah, I just I'm just surprised, and I always take these rankings with a pinch of salt. By the way, I'm just surprised that he's above Haaland. I'm surprised he's valued at so much. But then again, I'm kind of not because Manchester United are one of the biggest clubs in the world. He's English. He plays in the Premier League. So yeah, mm. um, he, he's ranked as the most exciting commodity in the Premier League by the Football Observatory, ranking him at 150 to 200 million pounds. And I'm sure we'll come on to it a little bit later on. But Bukayo Saka is valued at 120 to 150 million pounds. Mm. Is that is that a euros. mistake? Is that oh euros? Yeah, well, still that's 100 million quid. Is that yeah. is that an error? I don't. Know, it's weird because I mean, here's none again. Let's well, let's come on to it now. Uh, Bukayo Saka, uh, Phil Foden both in that list at that type of value exciting players i mean i don't know how much correlation there is between these valuations and what those players would expect to achieve were they in the transfer market but i think what is clear about the list is we've got marcus rashford in there got sacco in there we've got phil foden in there down the list you've got declan rice as the 10th most valuable player in the premier league which is the one that caught my eye uh, the Are we entering a golden generation again, Ian? We had this golden generation. When was it? Was it? Would it have been ninety-eight-ish when the England team was dubbed the golden generation with Beckham and Neville and whatnot? Are we getting into this second golden generation now? Is there a real exciting, talented crop of young Englishmen playing football? We're always in a golden generation when it comes to England, aren't we? We're always looking ahead. We're always thinking, oh, look. I don't know. Did you watch the 2010 World Cup, Ian? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. I was in Nice just to top it off. Um, It was, yeah, not not great. Anyway, look, um, the, the, the... when we look at our teams, that we don't have a, a team that stays together constantly for, say, eight years or so. There's always changes, and that could be because the players are getting older, they're moving on, some get injured, not available for whatever reason. We don't have the same team every single time, so things are always evolving. It's a media thing. You know, The newspapers call this a golden generation. They get very excited, and they start waving their copies of Three Lions in the Air, and, oh, we're going to do it this time, you know, 50, 60, 70 years of hurt and and so it'll go on don't forget by the way i think that england you know our expectations are completely um skewed by the 1966 world cup you know we got lucky we 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 were very lucky in that match happened to win the world cup in our home tournament um the majority of teams who are not part of the big nations like germany argentina italy and so on who win the world cup tend to do it on their home soil and uh, we did it but we did it but now we expect to do it every single time and that's just a very english thing because you know we're stiff upper lip and we're brilliant um, but you know we, we are a relatively small island who who 
overachieve at a lot of things. We do very, very well. And I think, you know, we should be um, very grateful for, for everything that we get to. And when we get anywhere near any of the finals, it is an amazing thing. We have uh, coming through some really good players who are highly valued that we can tell uh, are doing um, great so far and have got the potential to make a world-beating team. Yes, it is an exciting time. We've got great academies across the country. Lots of clubs are contributing some great talent and not just the big clubs that you know about as well, some of the smaller clubs or clubs that are slightly off the radar a bit, say like Sunderland, you know, got a great academy. Leeds United got a great academy. Um, there's um, There are plenty of others that I, 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 I'm not listing, but you know, there's, there's great talent coming through. Will that talent get an opportunity in the Premier League against some of the foreign imports and we're hearing more about now how money's going out of the window and it's going to be a free-for-all that is the thing that these players need chances to get experience to play against the top players in the big matches to play in Champions League matches to get that international experience because international football is a lot different to Crystal Palace versus Burnley on a wet Sunday afternoon in November when you get to the World Cup final you know you're playing against really cultured players who've got a lot of experience and in order to to come up to to deal with those players you've got to come up against them more than once in a in a tournament every 4 years so that would be my um concern is yes we have got the potential to win these tournaments and certainly do very well at them. And we've got great, exciting players coming through and you could call them a golden generation. But will those players get the opportunities to fulfil their potential? We don't really know how COVID's going to impact the transfer market that's coming up. I mean, it, it could go either way. It could be because the UK is so far ahead in terms of its vaccination process, football is likely to open quicker in England than it is in any of the European nations, which means football finances will improve quicker, which means the Premier League's spending power will increase more so than its European counterparts, which could be an attractive prospect to players who want to sign new contracts or make transfers, and it could attract them that way. But on the other hand, the lack of football finances and the squeeze that's been put on clubs could cause them to spend less, and we might see those young English players getting more of a chance we, we can't really tell the way it's going to go at the moment but the future of one of those young Englishmen could be caught, cast into doubt as a result of this list Declan Rice the 10th most valuable player in the Premier League according to this list which I'm sure is going to be a stat that catches the eye of David's Golden Sullivan captain on the pitch but a real asset off it I mean as far as the board at West Ham are concerned surely they're going to see him as a potential way to claw some money back particularly after the pandemic but if you're West Ham manager if you're David Moyes Niall do you cash in on a player that could get you 70 80 million pounds which then becomes enough to really build a squad in your image or is his value as an individual as an icon the fans kind of relate to as much as a player on the pitch is his value more important than potentially that 80 million pound to rebuild well i think the main aim should be to qualify for the champions league first West Ham still very much in the running. And if they do that, what's that? 120, 130 million quid mm, in the yep. pocket? And you wouldn't even need to sell Declan Rice. And I know there have been concerns about West Ham United and their finances. There was a statement around about Christmas last year, Christmas 2019, that said 
if West Ham get relegated from the Premier League, that is dire straits financially for the football club. Now, that was around about the time that West Ham were fighting relegation last season and they were flirting with the bottom three. This season, a complete turnaround and they're now looking at a possible top four finish, which is just a remarkable switch. So David Moyes deserves credit for that. And there's no doubt that Declan Rice has played a huge part in that. And according to these statistics in front of us like you've shown us Jim 50 to 70 million quid he's worth according to this list 10th most valuable player in the Premier League according to this list and according to this list 22.4% of the club's value in terms of transfer assets uh, fall at the feet of Declan Rice so certainly if you see those figures you'd be thinking wow okay yeah this is a guy who we can cash in on at some point but Declan Rice becomes more valuable if England do well in the Euros and he's involved and if West Ham finish in the Champions League. And I think that even if he isn't valuable, I think that the C... Sorry, even if his value dips because of those things not happening, I still think that you've got a player who has shown this season how good he can be. And he's shown that he certainly has a bright future in the game. And I think the way that West Ham turned things around this season, you've probably even earned a few chips, extra chips with the player himself to convince him to stick around. Because I think that even though, you know, Chelsea, I think if he's going to go anywhere, it'd be Chelsea, won't it? Just because he's best mates with Mason Mount and he's still in London. Yeah, well, the interest there has cooled with the departure of Lampard, hasn't it, a little bit? But, you, I mean, you could, you could see him fitting in very well at Manchester United. You could see him working for Manchester City in terms of the, the players they need he's, at the moment. He's a good player. I think he could play for anyone. He's one of those players where you could put him in a side pretty much anywhere and he'd do a good job because mm. he's 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 solid he's reliable he's consistent he's improving week by week and you can see why he's worth that that price tag interesting what you said about the transfer window and we're not really sure what's going to happen we said this last summer or last october when the transfer window eventually got going and it was the biggest transfer window spend i think we've seen in ages you no know, chelsea spent 220 million quid um, and, and you're looking at plenty of high-profile transfers. You know, Wolves spent 40 million quid on Fabio Silva, you know, like an unproven 18-year-old. So there was money flying around in the transfer window in the summer. Whether we'll see it to the same extent this summer remains to be seen, of course. But yeah, I think you're right with grounds opening up and fans being allowed back in. Revenue then obviously increases, and that may increase transfer policy in terms of spending. But the most valuable commodities, the most valuable assets in football are players because every team needs players. And if you're investing money in a player who can get you um, to take you up a level, um, you know, they're, they're only going to become more valuable over time. So, you know, West Ham have got something they paid nothing for in Declan Rice because he came through the academy after being released by Chelsea. And they've now turned an investment of very, very little into possibly 50, 70 million pounds. But I think if West Ham get into the Champions League, Declan Rice will want to stay and mm. play out that Champions League season. But I think that that just increases his value further. I think even if they finish in the Europa League and England do well in the Euros, I think that increases his value further. I think that there is a sweet spot that can be hit. I think that if they pull the trigger and try and get rid of Declan Rice too early and cash in on him too early... In two seasons' time, Jim, he could be worth 120 million. Like mm. we're seeing Bukayo Saka here, I think Declan Rice is worth more than Saka right now. I'm stunned that Saka's worth more than Alexander Arnold and Harry Kane. But still, that's just a personal opinion, and this is done on a computer algorithm, as you say. But still, you know, if this is the value that he's estimated to be at 50 to 70 now, in two or three seasons, if West Ham can do well in Europe next year, because I think they will finish in the Europa spots, and England do well in the Euros. This guy could be worth 
an extra 50 million on top. So I think that West Ham needs to be wary about that, especially if they're eyeing up potential transfers in the summer involving Declan Rice. They also have to be cautious of the uh, the way the club is perceived because cashing in on a player will not go down well with the fan base at the moment. Uh, particularly but West Ham have always done that, though, haven't they? Yeah, they did you... it with Joe Cole and Jermaine yeah. Defoe and all that. Well, that, that was largely as a result of relegation. But I'd have absolutely zero faith in the West Ham board investing. £70 million wisely. I think it's, it's almost better when they get £4 million quid and have to go and spend it and really have to... Because you can't lose with £4 million. Quid. £70 million, quid, they just, just fritter it away on some untried Australian... It's like that, Australian that cheese room at Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah. You know, that cheese fake cheese room in the stadium. <laughs> the thing that surprised me about this, by the way, is, is um, Dwight McNeil um, at Burnley. He's... Uh, riding quite high in there but he makes up 35 percent of uh yeah. burnley's assets um which is which is one of the most in europe the second uh, biggest in europe but certainly the makes him sort of the the most valuable player in the premier league in relation to to the rest of the clubs that uh, that, that he's at so burnley are uh, either going to cash in big time on that one or um or certainly if they if, if they um they, they if that or they can't afford to lose him. I'm not sure uh, what that says. I think it's going to be the former more than the latter. Next on Football <laughs> Social Daily, we're going to get to the AQAs, the Any Question Answered. Every Wednesday, you get your questions in via social media. It's a real mixed bag. We attempt to answer whatever you throw at us. We'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. the latest Premier League news for your team just ask Open Sport Social Welcome back to Football Social Daily it is AQA time any question answered we're going to take some of your questions that are coming via social media we're going to pick three and see if we can solve them for you if you want to get your questions in for next week you can follow us on Twitter at the Sports Social you can find us on Facebook search Sports Social there and we're Sports Social Official on Instagram as well you can find us in all those places but let's kick off with the first question from Sofa Sundays, who actually asked a question on the show last week as well. This week, he I mean, it's a shame we've not got Marley on for this one, because this feels like a very Marley-targeted question. It's about Newcastle United. The question is, is Ashley hoping that Bruce walks to save a payout, or is Ashley hoping that he wins his case against the Premier League so he can sell the club and let the new owners sack Bruce? Niall. You can have a crack at this one. I mean, we should probably say, so the case against the Premier League, I think if I'm remembering this right, the Premier League blocked the last sale of the club to the, I forget which nation the, um, the buyers were from. Was mm. it Saudi Arabian? Consortium, because they didn't feel they were fit and proper. They, they failed the fit and proper test. I think it's the first potential owners in the history of football to fail a fit and proper test. So Bruce is kind of challenging that at the moment. I guess the suggestion is here that if he wins his challenge, that sale will go through. I think that sale is probably dead and buried. But the question mm. remains, what is Mike Ashley doing in showing faith with Steve Bruce considering the mess he is making of the job at Newcastle at the moment? Well, I think the big issue here, because it all comes down to litigation and court cases and stuff, is Mike Ashley fundamentally believes in his mind that he already sold the club to the Saudis before the Premier League ruling came in and blocked the sale. So in his opinion, the club is already sold. It just needs to go through ratification, which 
was never granted. So mm. we were discussing just before we went on the podcast, weren't we, about how, Ian, you were discussing about trying to get a PS5 yeah. and you were saying that you had the item in the basket and you went to put your card details in and it all of a sudden disappeared. Well, that's exactly what's <laughs> happened with this situation. The Saudis had Newcastle in the, the basket. The Saudis had Newcastle in the basket and uh, suddenly something's happened and your computer's crashed and technically the money hasn't been taken from your account and although you agreed to buy it, it was in your basket and you were putting the details in, the, the transaction never went through. And I guess that's the most Spartan way to break this down because that's exactly what's happened. Obviously, Newcastle have taken court action against the Premier League. Newcastle are still fighting tooth and nail um, at the fans in the region being denied what they deserve. That's a quote from Mike Ashley uh, when speaking to Sky Sports at the start of the month. So he still feels that he is able to sell the club to the Saudi Arabians. Now, I think most right. Newcastle fans don't believe what Mike Ashley says. They think that the deal is dead in the water. I know Marley's one of those people. And understandably, I think I'd probably side with them as well. I, th I can see why they would think that. So that's the kind of situation regarding the Newcastle United takeover. Now, if that's the case, if Newcastle get relegated, if the Saudis had agreed to buy Newcastle for 300 million quid, they agreed that sale at the time. And if the club gets relegated, I think that Mike Ashley probably feels he can still get the 300 million quid because that's what he agreed with them in the first place. However, obviously, an asset like a football club, when you get relegated and you play badly, your stock falls and your value is decreased. So we still have to wait and see what comes out of this arbitration process between Newcastle United and the Premier League. And I'll be honest, I'm speaking in quite woolly terms here because I'm not completely across the story, but this is just my understanding of it at the moment. But do you but, I mean to go to, to refer back to the original question about Steve Bruce? Do you think this is what Mike Ashley is waiting on? Is he, is, wait, is he waiting on for someone else to essentially sack Bruce for him so he doesn't have to pay the compensation? I mean, I can't imagine the payout for Steve Bruce would be particularly high. No. I don't know how long his contract was that he signed when he first arrived at Newcastle. Um, maybe that's something that Newcastle fans will know. But what's this? Coming to the end of his second season now? I can't imagine he signed more than a three-year deal. So even a payout would be just a season for a man as as affluent as Mike Ashley. I don't think that'd be too much of an issue. I can't imagine Steve Bruce is on mega bucks, let's just say, to be a manager. He so he's got a year left of his contract at the end of this season. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I'd I find that quite unusual if it gets to the end of the season. Maybe if it gets to the end of the season and Newcastle are down, they'll sack him. Do you think we should applaud this, Ian? Because actually what we're seeing with Mike Ashley and Steve Bruce is a rare case of football loyalty. He's picked his man. Bruce has done nothing that other than terribly manage a football club that would necessarily cause Ashley to question him in his position in terms of he has been loyal. He's kind of supported Ashley. He's not openly criticised him and the lack of transfer funds. So is it kind of right that Ashley should repay this loyalty, even if it does mean the football club ultimately get relegated? But then I guess the question is, who do you bring in that could do a better job that would want to go to Newcastle? And that is the problem, isn't it? I think with Steve Bruce, obviously, he has an affinity with that club. He knew what he was getting into because it's happened before with every other manager. It's gone the same way, apart from, say, Rafa Benitez. But even he went down and brought them back up again. So you, you, you kind of know that there's <clears throat> going to be limited amount of investment. Uh, you know the fans are going to be demanding probably a disproportionate amount of success based on previous years rather than where they are now. Um, but you know that it's not going to be all that it's cracked up to be, I suppose, with Newcastle, because it's been like that for years. It's not a surprise. And I think there's an element of um, 
who goes first, you know, because if Steve Bruce walks out, he loses a year's worth of cash, which is probably no small amount of cash. So he's probably thinking, well, I'll just stomach it and do what I can until I get told to, to march, in which case he gets paid off. And same for Mike Ashley. You know, he's to him... Newcastle United, and this is where the frustration with a lot of fans comes in, Newcastle United is part of his business empire. Um, you know, it helps it helps support other businesses that he owns and, and he's cleaning up a lot of the, you know, leftovers in the high street at the moment as well. And so mm. to him, it's not just about the football club. He's got a football, it's like Monopoly, you know, he's got a football club, he's got a couple of department stores, he's got this sports brand, he owns some of the brands that he sells so it's all part of the the, the set and, and that's Steve how Steve Bruce is like landing on super tax isn't it yeah I can't wait for the Mike Ashley version of Monopoly that has to be released soon that is just things he owns would it be Sports Direct <laughs> yeah I don't know what would be the figures you'd get the little metal figures would yeah. <laughs> like shots yeah. of tequila in a fireplace with vomit in it <laughs> <laughs> Donny Donny socks would be one yeah. Puma trainers, yeah, Lonsdale, yeah, that's <laughs> it. but that's it. So for him, and this is that he's, he's not like he he owns the football club and that's it. And some owners do. Some owners think like I own this football club. I have got loads of money, uh, and this is how I'm going to make my cash. Whereas for Mike Ashley, it's like well, mm, it's spread the love, and that's that's exactly you know what how he balances his books, uh, I suppose. Right. The next question comes from. Um, I'm never going to pronounce this username. I, I struggle with footballers' names, and we've got a name here that's got no vowels in it. Vin Surthi, I think it's pronounced. It came in on Instagram, so thank you very much for your question. Apologies if I've got your username wrong. He says, does anyone think Sterling is good or even decent? I don't think any defence or goalkeeper in the world sits there and sees Sterling on the England team sheet and says, oh boy. I think he's decent and good, Niall. <laughs> what do you think? I mean, you don't play for Manchester City if you're not decent. I agree. I think he's a really good player. I just don't think he's having a particularly good time of it at the moment. There was a period maybe two years ago where he was genuinely world class. Mm. You know, if you were picking a world 11, and this is what I always say, and I will continue to say this until I stop talking about football one day. When you're talking about someone who's world class, the term gets thrown around far, far, far too easily. Who was it? I said someone the other day said Luke Shaw is world class. No, he's not. He's having a good season. He's not world class because world class for me is if you were picking a team of 15 players to represent planet Earth in a football match against an, another another planet in a universe far, far away, which 15 players are you picking? So let's just say two for each, each position. Would Luke Shaw be in amongst it? No, he wouldn't. Would Raheem Sterling have been amongst that team two years ago? Yes, he absolutely would. Would he right now? No. So I don't think he is a world-class player right now, but there was a period a couple of seasons ago where he was. However, that doesn't mean he isn't a good player anymore or he's no more than decent. I don't think that that's a particularly fair assessment. However, I do understand the sentiment when it comes down to I don't think any defence or goalkeeper in the world sits there and sees Sterling on the England team sheet and says, oh boy. I understand that because... I don't think there are many teams that right now are worried too much about Raheem Sterling, which is a shame. However, that doesn't mean that it can't work in England's favour. Because as you say, Jim, he's still a very good player. But, you know, if there's that level of complacency that, you know, Sterling isn't giving you anything to worry about, sometimes that's when players can be at the most dangerous, when they're kind of a bit inauspicious and unsuspecting. I mean, there's so many players that have kind of been like that down the years where you don't expect too much from them. 
um, and and yet they can deliver uh, on the biggest stage and at the the most important of occasions. So. I think it's a little bit harsh to, to label Sterling as nothing more than decent. I think he's a very, very good player. He's one of England's best players. And, you know, we talk about England in that context and we'll talk about England a lot throughout the course of the week, of course, on the podcast. But the front three, the potential front three of Sterling, Sancho and Harry Kane, you know, going into the next World Cup next summer and this Euro's coming up. I mean, that's, that, is, that is a team sheet that makes you think, oh boy, OK, they're decent. Sancho, Kane and Sterling. I mean, it's a frightening yeah. front three and there's still options to come behind that. So I don't think Sterling is, is as good as he has been in recent seasons, but it doesn't mean he's not a good player for sure. Is there an argument, Ian, that actually Raheem Sterling is a better player for England than he is for Manchester City purely because of the way that England play? I mean, usually you see England playing on the break a bit more, maybe not so against San Marino and the likes of whoever they've got in the World Cup qualifiers that are coming up. So actually, does the, does the way England play suits Raheem Sterling as an individual better than maybe the way Manchester City play, who quite often have to break down two banks of four in order to get those chances on goal. They don't really have the same space in behind. Yeah, he does very well for England. He's got 13 goals in his um, career so far, and he he does seem to relish playing in a slightly different role, as you say, um, in the England team. I think from looking at the uh, Raheem Sterling stats, and the the best comparison I could find for somebody who was perhaps similar to him um, at short notice um, was um, with uh, Sadio Mane. They've played a similar amount of games um, in the Premier League. Not not exactly the same, but as close as I can find. And the difference between the two of them is that Mane scores more goals, but Raheem Sterling creates a lot more chances, a lot more assists and things like that. And that's maybe his why is um, he goes under the radar a little bit because his contributions to goals are not always the final... Um, element of putting the ball in the net you know he does set up and he does put the passes in to to score for certainly for Man City in the, in the Premier League and the Champions League um, and perhaps he's in a different position with England and that's why he's getting the goals more for England but he is actually contributing he's doing very well and he's creating the goals for uh, for City um, he's to say he's just not got his name on the team sheet so I think maybe it's um, a little bit harsh to say that he's not um, he's not having a good season he's not doing well I think he's got 10 goals this season um, himself, but um, but yeah, he's creating a lot more chances than than his um, contemporaries in similar situations, similar positions in other teams. So yeah, he, he adds that. Final question for today's AQA comes from Mirad Zubik, who a bit of light relief at the end of the podcast wants to know what's the most comedic moment in football you can remember, and he says as an, as an example, uh, Bashwai kicking the ball into his own face <laughs> when he was playing for Belgium, which is a clip you can find all over the internet if you've not seen it. I'm going to do mine first, because mine's not out and out funny, but it brings a smile to my face every time I remember it, because it was a game I was at. It was West Ham 5, Bradford City 4, which was such a good game of football that I was privileged to be at, and it featured a fantastic moment where Frank Lampard and Canio tried to wrestle the ball off each other to take a penalty, which turned out to be the decisive penalty that won the game. But if you remember the game, you'll know that... De Canio had one of his best games in a West Ham shirt and he was kicked all over the shop by Bradford City. He had three or four clear-cut penalty decisions go against him during that game and he was getting more and more upset and more and more outraged as the game continued. On the third or fourth time he was taken down, he just stopped playing and he went over to the bench on the halfway line got down on his knees and begged harry redknapp to substitute him 
as the game carried on around him. And I think Bradford hit, hit the post in that time. West Ham had another attack and he was just there on the touchline, kind of doing his uh, Italian hand gestures, just begging Frank Lamb- uh, begging Harry Redknapp to to take him off because he didn't want to play anymore, uh, which I think is, is just a moment in football that always brings a smile to my face. So not out and out hilarious. You wouldn't get it in a Chuckle Brothers episode, but yeah. it always makes me laugh when I think about it. Uh, Ian, have you got a contribution to the most comedic moment in football you can remember? Yeah, 2009, Sunderland versus Liverpool. Darren Bent scored the only goal oh, of the game yeah. after it ricocheted <laughs> off a beach ball which had been thrown onto the pitch. Ah, oh, what a moment that was. There were football calls for a rematch. Dream. Uh, never happened. The, 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 obviously, the results stood. The, uh, the referee got, uh, got demoted uh, after it. And, uh, and the person who threw the beach ball on the pitch was, uh, was uh, public enemy number one in uh, parts of Merseyside. But I know what that feels like because I've been public enemy number one in parts of Merseyside uh, in the past as well. Um, I <laughs> a long time ago, it, a lo- even ten years prior to this match, I made a promo on the radio station in Sunderland, Sun FM, um, pr- be, you know, previewing Sunderland versus uh, Liverpool um, because we were doing commentary and stuff at the time, and I uh, I used. <laughs> I used the phrase "lock up your hubcaps," which um, which actually made it into the Liverpool Echo, and the wow, Liverpool okay. Echo were absolutely outraged by this and uh, got all sorts of abuse. So uh, the only way to uh, to do that was to, to fire back on that was we did a competition to give away tickets for for uh, similar game, you know, Sunderland versus Liverpool, and uh, the tickets went to the first three people who could get into the car park and take their hubcaps off. So uh, there you go. Right, just to uh, express, these are the thoughts of Ian Brennan, not of football uh, well, social daily. Or sports social. <laughs> yeah, no, no these, these are previous successful radio <laughs> campaigns. Right, Niall, funniest. Incidentally, uh, I think the beach ball got Sunderland's player of the season that year as well. Uh, Niall, <laughs> your funniest moment in football. I wonder if that beach ball's in a museum somewhere. So. It's got to be, hasn't it? Somewhere in a frame. Um, talking to Liverpool, I mean, I suppose there's two elements you can take. Whether Because obviously now with the internet and social media, you get memes and stuff like that, which kind of make some football content twice as funny. So I'm thinking of... Um, when Neil Warnock walked towards the camera with his hands behind his back like Liam Gallagher and loads of people were putting like the Verve music to yeah. it and the Oasis music to it, which is quite funny. Um, but on the Liverpool th- on the Liverpool front, Steven Gerrard slipping against Chelsea was quite funny for a neutral, especially with the, the huddle in the week before saying we will not let this slip. And then he <laughs> slips and then Denver Bar runs in and scores. This, um, this is not so, a podcast for Liverpool fans. Today. No, that, that was that was quite funny. I do feel for him, though, um, because that will always come back to haunt him. Um, however, the funniest moment for me is when <laughs> a bird took a <laughs> in Ashley Young's mouth <laughs> during the Manchester United game. Um, <laughs> he tried to deny, but there's footage of a bird <laughs> landing in his mouth yeah. um, during a football match, which always tends to make me laugh because that's the kind of childish humour I find quite funny. Uh, I'm sure there's loads of examples. Thank you very much. Mirad, for that bit of light relief at the end of the podcast, great question. You can get your podcast questions in for next week via our social media. You can also find the latest news on your team at sport-social.co.uk. And if you want another podcast to listen to, if daily football updates from the Premier League from Football Social Daily isn't enough, well, you can get onto the Sport Social Podcast Network. Just Google Sport Social Podcast Network and you can find your next favourite sporting podcast there. Ian, Niall, pleasure as always. Thank you very Thank much. You guys. And we'll see you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Instagram at Sports Social Official.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus